Throw this down for a catch. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. Welcome to the Brewery Ministries podcast. This is the chosen retrospective series hosted by Nathan. Will you do us the honor, Rabbi? If that's where you keep the white sardines. Jason. Teacher, you have moved us all. John. Looks like we're not the only ones taxing the people. And Nick. It's the biggest pile of dung in all Capernaum. <laughs> this episode will contain spoilers. We recommend watching the episode before listening to the podcast. I'm on official business. Only Roman business is official business. Today we are discussing The Chosen, Season 2, Episode 8, the season finale. This is Nathan. This is Jason. John. Nick. All right, we are four guys coming from different perspectives. Some of us are coming from a Christian background, some of us are not, so it's made a really interesting conversation. We finally made it all the way through Season 2, so I'm excited to be here. We always start off with a little icebreaker. We usually share a beer that we're drinking, because this is sponsored by Brewery Ministries, so it's only festive to bring a beer to the podcast. Let's start with Jason. What are you drinking tonight? Apricot Nectar by Jumix, non-alcoholic juice to go with my no alcohol February. Yeah, tell everybody about that. <laughs> so every once in a while, I just take a 30-day break from any kind of alcohol just to make sure that I'm not an alcoholic and I can do it. After 30 days, I go back. I try not to drink the whole 30 days worth of alcohol I miss in one week. I mean, you started too early. Isn't Lent coming up? You could have done it then. That's 40 days. I'm not Catholic, so I just I drink all the way. I'm Methodist, and they do. Well, I've worked at Methodist and non-denominational churches. Methodists do Lent and Catholics. That explains why the bars are empty. Well, they're real busy a couple of days before, then then they kind of die out. <laughs> yeah. That's how you're supposed to give up something on Lent that you like, like social media or your favorite TV show or something. I could do with giving up social media. I could do it, too. Pretty much already have. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, Snapchat counts. I don't have it. Okay. You did? Yeah, I did. Yeah. No more? I can't send you stupid snaps anymore? You can send it to me. I just don't open them. Oh, oh man. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have tonight? So I think I've had this on here before, but uh, I was going through my cabinet and I grabbed some Indiana gold. It's uh, 119.2 proof. Woo! It's corn build. So it's pretty good. (laughs) Oh yeah. Very nice. What about you, Nick? I got Sun King. It's called Keller Haze. It's just like a it's like a hybrid between a New England and a regular IPA. It's kind of it's hoppy. It's in the fridge. It's gotta go away. So I got it. <laughs> it's gotta go away. It's gotta go away. Sun King is a local Indiana brewery, right? Yeah, but yeah. they've expanded to Florida now, randomly. Oh, interesting. Well, I have a New Holland Brewing Co. Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. You've seen me drink the white stout before. That's a good one. But this is the regular bourbon barrel aged stout. It's pretty good. This is a little higher. It's at 11% ABV. Now, if you don't like bourbon or whiskey, it has a little bit of that flavor, so it might be too strong for some people. 
I'm not really into bourbon, but I do like beer that has a hint of bourbon. So I like it. I'm actually drinking it room temperature, English style. I don't like it when the bourbon overpowers the beer. Because sometimes you get in where it just overpowers and you can't really taste any of the beer. I'm like, well, heck, I should just got a shot of bourbon then. Yeah, this one's kind of right on that line. It's almost tastes like a blend. You might like the white stout better because it tastes more like a beer. It's really creamy. All right, well... We actually got some email after the fourth episode. Dang! Yeah, we finally got some email. <laughs> yes. We've been releasing the episodes a little bit late. We recorded several at a time or early and held them back before releasing them so that, you know, due to scheduling, if we had a delay, we wouldn't have a long gap between episodes. So we're on the eighth episode sharing mail about the fourth episode. <laughs> so this is from <laughs> Carmen. Now, I've actually met Carmen at the brewery when we were having brewery church. He came once, and I met him there, and he's kept in contact with us online. And if you remember in episode four, they talked about that mysterious excluded Bible verse, right? Where the angel stirred the waters of the healing pool. We said some Bibles are are missing that verse. So he had forgotten about that and thought it was interesting. So he was doing some research on it. And I'll share some snippets of his email here. He said, I'm in the camp of it was added to give foreign readers to that time cultural context. Without that addition, you might be asking, what is the lame man talking about? Like, why is he at this pool? And he looked up some stuff in the Lexham Geographic. This is what he found. First, it would not be logical for God to use a good angel in a pagan healing shrine. And that makes sense because, you know, we were thinking there's no other example of an angel being the agent of healing in the Bible. So that was kind of an obscure verse. And he said, second, the, the word angel is actually a neutral term. It is used both to describe good and fallen angels. And he cites Matthew 25, verse 41, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Now, here's something very interesting. A rabbinic example of this is found in Midrash Rabbah Leviticus 24, verse 3. Now, I believe that's like an ancient Jewish version of the book of Leviticus. Because if I just look up in Leviticus, that verse, I don't find this. So I was trying to find a copy of this, and I wasn't able to before the podcast. But now I'm curious. It says, an evil spirit stirs up the water in that manuscript. And um, finally, he notes that Satan is sometimes called the angel of light. He can perform pseudo healings to deceive people. That happens in Second Corinthians and Revelation. So it addresses the question, why does Jesus go into this pagan shrine and pick out one man to heal? That was kind of one of our beefs, right? He goes in there and there's all these people who need healing. And Jesus just heals this one guy and then leaves. Well, Carmen thinks Jesus was probably selecting this guy and using him as an object lesson. So I kind of thought about that. Okay, so the point of it is that God is the healer, right? Not these other angels or spirits. And I also wondered, does it really matter if Jesus is there or not? Because if the actual healing is coming from God and not just Jesus, then maybe it isn't as big of a deal that Jesus just came and healed one guy and then left when there are still other people in need. Because the point might have been that God is the source of healing. I don't know. Does that 
explanation jive with you guys or what do you think thoughts i mean we've talked about this a little bit like you know i've made the the remark you know why isn't god healing everyone why isn't he you know doing all this but you know the the deeper we've gotten into this the more it's jesus's purpose is to you know spread the message and his message is look i'm going to heal people i'm going to do good things and i'm going to try and convince you to follow my way because my way will get you into heaven right so i'm not here to heal everyone so I'm going to do a couple things to get people on board, but ultimately follow what I do. And that's that's the thing. He picked this guy with the gag alarm and healed him because that was his example. Though I didn't know that was a pagan temple. I guess I missed that. Yeah, there's a dropped line in the episode because they're like, why are we going here? This is a pagan shrine. Uh, okay, I missed that. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I think it was just for to get people's attention, just for impact. He's put on a little show there to get people, hey, look, wow, look, he healed this guy with the jacked up arm to get people's attention. I think I think this was the guy that couldn't walk, right? Was it the guy who couldn't walk or was the guy with the arm like total recall? It's the guy that couldn't walk. One of the next episodes was the guy with the hand. I thought the guy with the hand was in the temple. Yeah, the hand guy was in the temple. Okay. Hand guy was in the temple. Oh, with the fountain stuff there. Yeah, Simon's brother was by the pool. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Well, I thought that was interesting. So thank you, Carmen, for emailing us. I think that was a really fun topic to research, too. Yeah, those are good thoughts, guys. Well, I've got the magical IMDb plot summary, as usual, for this episode. And it says, While Jesus and Matthew prepare the content of the big sermon, the disciples spread the word while fighting amongst themselves. A high-ranking Sanhedrin member is shocked by Shmuel's reports on Jesus. Thousands arrive for the sermon. All right, so the very first scene, we see two guys. They're trying to buy some land from this older guy at basically a steal so they can dig some tombs supposedly to offer a service to the middle class. But they kind of seem like sleazy car salesmen. So what do you think about these guys? Yeah, I think the way that they were portrayed, you definitely tell there was something more than uh, their stated intentions. They, they were after something. Again, you don't really know who they are. It's a weird, it's an interesting way to start the episode, put it that way. Yeah. Did you guys have any suspicions about who one or both of these guys might be? I had absolutely no clue. I, I rewatched that scene like three or four times. Like I had to have missed something. I turned on subtitles thinking, because sometimes they'll put the name and it was nothing. It's just like, I, I don't know what I missed. <laughs> I, I think I texted you too about that, where it was like, I feel like they started me like halfway through the episode. <laughs> yeah, I was watching with a couple friends and one of them suggested one of them might be Judas. And so I spent half the episode, maybe more, trying to figure out which one of them was Judas. And I thought it was going to be the bigger guy because he seemed exceptionally shady. I did not expect it was going to be the little guy. But I was actually hoping it would be him because I didn't like the other guy and I didn't want to see him for three or four more seasons. Well, don't get me wrong, the little guy is pretty shady too. I mean, he played along in the beginning when they were trying to con the farmer, landowner, whatever you call him. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're building tombs. Okay. Yeah, for people who can't afford it at your expense. Would you rather be buried in a pit or in a tomb? I don't know that I care. I'm dead, right? Just don't put me on a cross. Too soon? Too soon? So I did a deep dive on these guys, their lineage. Because I was like, why are they talking about their lineage? Why is that important? And I still don't necessarily know necessarily why that's important to this particular episode. But check this out. All right. So the two con artists here, the two younger guys, they say their lineage is 
Simeon, all right? Simeon, I traced him to try to figure out who he was. He's the second son of Jacob. So this is one of the fathers of Israel, one of the early uh, ancestors. And that's an interesting choice. This is what happens with Simeon. His sister Dina is taken and defiled, you know what that means, I'm sure, by a Hevite man named Sechem. So all of his brothers conspired to initiate a plan to establish a false treaty with Hamor's family, which is the guy who defiled Simeon's sister, right? So this is where it gets super interesting. They make this treaty, and in this treaty, everybody has to get circumcised in that city. This is from Genesis 34. But instead of the family of Jacob honoring this peaceful treaty, they wait until everybody has been circumcised and they're at home in pain, and they bust in with swords and they kill every male in the entire city. So that's Simeon. He is also one of the guys who threw Joseph into that pit and sold him into slavery in Egypt. This dude's awesome. <laughs> Let me get this straight. They circumcised the entire town, which... And then, while everybody's at home healing, they went in and just killed them all. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you can't move this fast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But could it have been a mercy killing? <laughs> it was actually vengeance because, you know, they defiled his sister. No, no, sure. I, I get that. But like, could it be the like, OK, we did this to you. We're going to give you mercy. and We're just going to kill you. Well, I actually feel bad because like one guy does this to your sister. So you kill all of them. I mean, I don't know what the other people had to do with it. <laughs> Kind of extreme. Yeah, that is in this story, Judas's ancestors. I tried to find out if that was really Judas's background, and nobody really knows. So that might be fictional. I'm not sure. I hope it's not. I hope it's not. <laughs> but the other guy, the older guy, he says his ancestors are Reuben. And Reuben was actually the son that saved Joseph's life because Simeon and the other brothers were going to kill Joseph. And Reuben's like, no, let's not do that. And so they sell him into slavery instead. That guy is a descendant of Reuben. So now my question for you guys, and uh, the answer's in Luke chapter 3. Do you have a guess as to which of these guys Jesus descends from? Well, it's actually his father, Joseph. Simeon or Reuben? I couldn't find it in this Bible if I wanted to. Reuben. Yeah, I, I would say Reuben. Judas, because that's how it goes. Well, Simeon's name is in Luke chapter 3. I'm pretty sure Jesus comes from the guy who came up with the circumcision massacre idea. Is that crazy or what? <laughs> well, he's creative. <laughs> hold on, hold on. It Wait, is so... smart, I guess. <laughs> Takes his job seriously. When you say Jesus was a descendant of that, you're talking up through his father, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. Which we've already discussed... I have beef with because he is just a figure, the real descendant. Jesus' real ancestors go up through Mary. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm not trying to go against religion. Oh, man, I should I should look up Mary's lineage and see if he's in there. huh? So Joseph's kind of like a stepdad. Yeah. Exactly. The OG stepdad. Dude's still, like, important, don't get me wrong, but, like, the blood of Jesus goes through Mary. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it's because it's male-dominated society, so it's usually the father's name that I actually yeah, care about. I know, but we're just trying to be realistic here. <laughs> no, that's a great point. Yeah. The Catholics got it right, man. You got to honor Mother, Mother Mary. So in the next scene, we get to see some more of Ninja Simon. He's awesome. He actually makes a comment 
when the guys are fighting, he says, how can you have a healthy mind if you don't have a healthy body? I was wondering, is there some kind of correlation there between physical health and spiritual health? I sure hope not. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> I like to think I got good mental health, but I definitely, uh, I'm a little rotund, if you will. <laughs> Well, portly. My asset is my mental health. That's my angle. So the rest of it. Yeah, <laughs> hey, at least I'm smart. That's what I said. At least I'm smart. Yeah. He's a ninja. Of course he's going to say that. He's got the asset that we can see and then the asset we can't see that he's sitting on. <laughs> yeah. I think it is connected to some degree, especially for somebody like him who's super active, has completely dedicated his life to this whole pursuit. If he were to be inactive for a longer period of time, I think he would feel feel something from it. Whether or not that applies to everyone, I, I don't think that's the truth. But um, somebody like that that has conditioned their whole life uh, and trained in a very challenging manner uh, I, I think would definitely feel off if they had like a week off from training. <laughs> He'd probably have an identity crisis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of built his, I mean, he's really kind of built his whole life around that. I mean, it's kind of like these, um, some of these CrossFit people. I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Rule number one of CrossFit. You have to talk about CrossFit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What do you think of these scenes in the camp? I thought it was kind of funny that they told him to put a shirt on. And it's like, he's wearing a tank top, basically. <laughs> he's like, quick, put a shirt on before the women see you. <laughs> well, then he's like, the women are already up. They've already, he didn't say this, but they've already seen you, bro. <laughs> I don't know. It, it plays out mo even more in the, the following scenes and the rest of the episode. But I feel like this is like a family who spent too much time together. Like you, you think about like if you all crammed in your station wagon and, and took a trip across country, like a five, six person family, you're going to hate each other or at least get on each other's nerves by the end of it. And I think that's what we're starting to see. You mean like living in a college dorm? Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. I mean, we see them really going at each other this time. This is probably the most animosity we've seen between them in the entire series. We saw a little bit last episode between Simon, you know, Simon, Peter, and Andrew in the boat. But now like, the whole group's kind of blown up. I thought it was interesting when the Ethiopian woman is talking to Thomas and she says, it looks like everything is fighting. And Thomas said, they all want to follow the rabbi the right way. They just can't agree on what the right way is. Thomas calls the fighting love, and she's like, ah, that doesn't look like love to me. So I thought that was interesting commentary. If it's cultural. Yeah, that's a good point. They have a different mindset in the East. Does anybody know anything about that? That's not just East. That's like Africa. Isn't that considered like Eastern Hemisphere? I was just talking like the Middle East versus Africa. No clue. That was a good point, though, <laughs> because I've seen a guy from Syria talk about the differences in thought between people in the East and the West. And there is a different approach when it comes to debate and intellectual arguments. I just can't remember what he said. <laughs> All right, so then we get to catch up with the con artists here. I call them con artists. The two mystery men who are trying to buy the tomb. We catch up with them at some kind of restaurant or pub or something. And I don't know how old these guys are, so I'm going to say the smaller guy. He says, what I need is a life I can be proud of. I want something that will be remembered for years to come. 
So he wants to do something important. Now, it's weird. Like, in this scene, I feel like the guy's got a heart. He's having some kind of identity crisis. But this guy turns out to be Judas. So we ultimately know he's going to be remembered for all the wrong things. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you guys have seen the end of this episode by now. What do you think about this guy's plight here? You think this is Dallas Jenkins' uh, fictional license to use a little foreshadowing? I want to do something important. I want to be remembered. Yeah, you're Judas, jerk. (laughs) Well, so do you think that Judas represents the voice of Dallas? Well, more like, though, it's it's just foreshadowing that sure he's going to they end up helping the dude. Spoiler alert. Right. But I wonder if the real thing that he ends up being remembered for is what he does later on. And this is just Dallas being a little ha 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 using a little literary magic to do a little foreshadowing. Well, something to consider with that, too, though, Nick, is Judas was a trusted disciple. All the others trusted him as well. Up until that point of betrayal, he was still a part of that group. I don't think any of them, had they known, would have uh, just sat idly by and let it happen without trying to fight it back in some regard. I mean, that's the whole point that makes it more extreme because he was a trusted person, yeah. part of the group. I mean, it was betrayal. I think it makes sense that he would have some mixed feelings and have some mixed motivations. I mean, he can't just be a total con artist. There's got to be some good in him or he wouldn't have followed Jesus around for three years. I think he just ultimately loses that struggle. Well, this is the part where like me not knowing that story fully. I just know that he betrays Jesus and that's part of how he ends up getting crucified, right? The Passion of the Christ doesn't start at that point. It starts a little bit later. So I don't know the story. I'll let you know when I get there. I believe he was in charge of the money for the group. He was talking to the snake, the pastor Christ was, but that was before Judas, wasn't it? He's not in the movie. When Jesus is talking to the snake, that's prior to Judas turning him in. The soldiers show up. Talking to the snake? Yeah, didn't he talk to the serpent up there in the hill? Oh, Jesus? Yeah, right before Judas turned him in. I mean, isn't the story go that way? I mean, hmm. I'm going to have to read that. I, I can't recall that. The snake is actually Satan. He already knows. He's like, well, you, you know what's going to happen. And he's like, you know, one's going to betray you. And he goes, are you going to sacrifice yourself? I mean, he's having this whole conversation with the serpent. I know there's a discussion with Satan when he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days, right before he starts recruiting the disciples. It's not in the form of a serpent, though, that I know of. But that scene, I thought, was what was going on possibly in the beginning of episode three, the children episode. Because do you remember when he's at this camp by himself and he kind of looks like he's in some kind of emotional pain? I thought, oh, maybe that's that scene in the wilderness where Satan is telling him, why don't you just jump off this cliff and my angels will catch you or something? You could do anything. You can be powerful. So I don't know. Let me know if you find that. I'd be interested. Is there a gospel of Judas? There is. There is. Did he write it? I don't think so, because it comes out, oh, 200 or so years after Jesus died. There's a gospel of Nicodemus, too. I actually have a little excerpt here, if you want to hear it. It's about Judas. Yeah. So you got to take this as a grain of salt, though, because it dates from the fourth century. So it's 400 years after these events. So it's totally right. According to the apocryphal gospel of Nicodemus, Judas was overcome with remorse when he went home to tell his wife, who was roasting a chicken over a charcoal fire, that he was going to kill himself because he knew Jesus would rise from the dead. And when he did, he would punish him. Judas's wife laughed and told him Jesus could no more rise from the dead than he could resurrect the chicken she was cooking. Well, immediately the chicken she was cooking came to life and began to crow. He ran away and hung himself. In the apocryphal gospel of Judas, 
Judas. Judas has a vision of the disciples stoning him to death. So I don't know what to make of this stuff. They could be legendary ideas about what Judas went through after betraying Jesus. I don't know. I mean, it seems logical that he really would have a vision like that. I don't know about the chicken coming to life. And then crowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is, again, where I struggle. So you said the fourth century. So that's like us writing about the pilgrims and trying to be factual. Yes. The shorter the gap, the better I feel. But at 400 years, I start to wonder. That's the limit? 400? Well, I don't know. If there's... If there's nobody around to... It's like we've had this conversation already. Yeah, yeah, we have a little bit. I guess you got to wrestle with that. But if there's nobody else around to write the real truth, if that was false, then I'm concerned. But how would you disprove this stuff anyways? I mean, this is a guy's vision. So how can you say that he didn't have it? You know, one of those things. You're telling me there's fake news and now you're telling me there's fake Bible stories? No. So I think he actually, I don't think it was a snake Jesus talked. I think he actually talked to Satan up there. Oh, before Judas turns him in. Yeah. So I remember I was thinking because some of the shows, like the History Channel, the person they have a Satan, people were mad because it looked like Obama at one time. And they were like, did you pick that person? And I think <laughs> the Pastor of the Christ they actually used a female. <laughs> Man, you referenced History Channel. I thought you were going there. You mean women are <laughs> <No>. Satan? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. No, they, I think they had, I think it was um. Kate Blanchard or somebody, because, you know, the Bible says Satan was real fair, kind of handsome. And so in order to kind of get that, they kind of got like a kind of more of a masculine female. Tom Cruise? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. We have a very interesting scene after this. It's where Schmuel and Yanni... They head to visit this guy named Shammai, who is a high-ranking member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is a court of religious leaders. So they had, and we've talked about this before, the Jews are basically under Jewish law and Roman law. So they go to see this high-ranking official because they're trying to get Jesus busted for breaking their laws, supposedly, of healing on the Sabbath. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Black Sabbath. (laughs) Before this show, I thought that Jesus had actually broken Jewish law. But since we've found out about some of those exceptions, like the Pikash Nefesh, I think it's possible Jesus didn't really break the law, but this is a gray area. Needless to say, they're really strict people. They want to get him busted. So they want Shammai to create this written report that states that Nicodemus and President Shimon knew about Jesus's offenses, but dismissed them. And then they want to keep that secret so that later they can reveal it and turn all the people against Jesus. Feels like modern day politics. (laughs) (laughs) I felt that way too. You mean there's women following him? Yeah, it it just, yeah. Yeah. It felt like it was just a manipulation in order to eventually come back and make a power grab. I kind of got the impression, too, that maybe I I read the expression and the tone of voice wrong, but I felt like Shmuel kind of had this moment of, oh, that's not exactly what I was trying to do, but uh, okay. I don't know. He's like, I've seen it going differently in my head. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe they didn't want to get Shimon busted or Nicodemus, but if it's necessary for their mission, maybe they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. When Nick mentioned, they said, he has women among his followers when they're listing all the offenses. (laughs) And again, I, I did not realize 
having women in your following was such a terrible offense back then. I mean, is it really? Or is that just a device for the show? We can assume either way and probably be right. They also make the comment, he consults with Gentiles, which would mean anybody who is not a Jew. So in their mind, it's immoral to be around people who are not Jewish. So I I know that is what happened during that time period, but I have trouble figuring out why it was such a bad thing to be associated with a non-Jew because I'm in a school right now. I'm going to school to get a Bible certificate, which I just started last week. And they're explaining on a larger big picture view, Israel was supposed to be a nation who eventually like God wanted to reach all the other nations through. So they weren't supposed to like not associate with these other people. They were supposed to not do some of the things that they did, but they weren't supposed to be this permanent bubble community, but they basically ended up instead discriminating against anybody who wasn't a Jew. I think that's interesting. What do you guys think about some of the accusations that are put forward here? They seem egregious. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he uses plastic spoons. <laughs> How dare you? Good one. Your eyes that maybe this is why... Some of the other people in the world don't like them as history progresses. Yeah. Just going to say be. it that way. It's very similar to why some people don't like religious people today or the church. I mean, every single one of us on this podcast just has a negative run in with religious or more, right? Like I'm a Christian mm -hmm. and I've been eaten alive by Christians at times. But eaten alive by pretty at times. It's that arrogance. I'm right. You're wrong. And there's no sense in you arguing with me. It's almost like the Borg there, Star Trek, assimilate. <laughs> <laughs> Resistance is futile. <laughs> that is a fantastic analogy. Yeah, it's like, we don't like diversity. We don't like diversity of opinion, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is how it is. Just do it. Aren't the Borg like all white robotic people or partial robots? <sighs> They're ancient aliens, Nick. Are they, <laughs> are they in the most recent Star Trek movie? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Think so I don't remember a lot of that stuff's running and running like Picard and stuff like that's all meshing in my head. <laughs> I wish yeah. I dug up some of the Bible verses that say this, but I know that Star in the Trek. Old Testament at times the Old Testament says that the intent was other countries would look to Israel as this example and strive to be like them or or know what they were about. And I'm thinking, well, how are they going to do that if it's illegal for you to associate with them? <laughs> so somehow this got off the rails. I feel like, I feel like the overcritical... Christians have completely lost their way, right? You know, there's the, you're supposed to spread the gospel and spread the word and all that, but like, does it say ram it down someone's throat? And it doesn't mean if they don't like it, you're the worst. I think all that's true, but that's why Jesus is there. He's trying to get it back on course. I'm sorry, I'm talking about today. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing though, like back then, way back then, Jesus was there and he'd be like, oh, all right, he did these things. Like, I, I know a guy who saw him do it. Well, now it's like, I read a book about a guy who talked to a guy who knew a guy who had a great grandfather who was there. So it's it's hard. But 
the fact that like we read the book, I think puts us a leaps and bound above some of present day Christians who I would question may not have read the Bible. I said it. Or they tell you how Jesus thought somehow. Well, this is Jesus thought this. Yeah. Or this is how Jesus thought. Or I mean, how do you know how, how he thought? I mean, it's kind of. What, what page was that in the Bible? Yeah. Seven. Throw <laughs> <laughs> him for a loop. Where was that in the Old Testament? Zing. <laughs> Yeah, so this is the thing I've been wrestling with the most over the past couple of years, especially after starting a, a group that talks about scripture at a bar. I mean, I think what I would want to say to people is that there's going to be bad behaving Christians and there's going to be ones who get it too, right? So I've discovered there's this wide range. And the thing that is hard is a lot of people don't want to explore Christianity because they've had the encounter with the bad behaving Christians. And that's the hardest part because there have been so many bad encounters. They don't know that's not the intent of Christianity, which is why I like the show, because I think that's kind of what the show is trying to address. So I'm wondering if it is going to be successful in that mission. And I actually worry a little bit about Dallas Jenkins at times, because I don't know what happened here, but they were live streaming the first three or four episodes, and then they just stopped. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. And I knew they were getting a lot of criticism by religious people because they said, oh, these people, I can't remember what they said. They, they wanted the people to, to look cleaner. They look like they haven't taken showers in a long time. It's like, well, that's probably what they look like. Yeah. So I noticed that Dallas started making videos responding to the criticisms. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> like this must be bothering him. You can't reason with some of these people. So just make the show, man. Keep making the show. Don't worry about that crazy criticism. Yeah. If you grow up in that environment, I mean, if that's all you know, then you're going to raise kids and that's all they're going to know. And you're just going to keep keep the cycle rolling. They're going to make a list of his offenses and keep it secret until the end of the series. Just like this Shammai dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's an interesting thing that happened in the show. We see Jesus and Matthew working on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is asking Matthew for feedback. What do you think, one, of the idea of Jesus rehearsing his sermon so much, and two, asking Matthew for feedback on his sermon? So if the idea, if, if Jesus is really God, is this something that he would do? Is it in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? No, this is a liberty. He's also still a man. He still feels fatigue. He still feels exhaustion. And, and I got to think that preparation for something like this would have been completely exhausting. I, I mean, he's been working on this thing for this whole season, it seems like. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's too out there to think that he may have talked to, to someone about it or prayed on it or, you know, asked for a second opinion, a fresh set of eyes. From the guy on the yeah. spectrum. I think some people would. <laughs> yeah, from the guy. Matthew just keeps getting beaten. <laughs> oh, man. I think some people would look at this and say, why does Jesus need to rehearse? Doesn't he know exactly what to say? So then that made me wonder, okay, so you've heard the, the claim that the Bible is inspired by God, right? Well, I, I wonder if that is what is behind this. One camp will say basically the Holy Spirit downloads every word of the Bible word for word into the writer's head, or it's not their words, it has no humanity behind it. 
or inspired by the Holy Spirit just means motivated. Therefore, it can contain some humanity. When Jesus is making the sermon, he is working at it. That looks more like that motivated view instead of word for word. These are not Jesus's words or the book of Matthew is not Matthew's words at all. It contains no humanity. Do you see the difference? Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that they took this more motivated by God view. Personally, that's more the camp I'm in when I look at what is the Bible. I mean, it goes back to, are you thinking he's a man and he's got normal anxieties and things like that and he needs to rehearse this and he wants to get the message right? Or do we subscribe to the fact that God is the queen of the Borg and Jesus is one of the Borgs and he just downloads the <laughs> the output, right? <laughs> Micromanage. Can he be a mix? Can he be a hybrid? Yeah, right. I think we have to believe, we, we have to believe that, yes, exactly, that he's just a, a man who's anxious and he wants to get it right. And, you know, Matthew is very detailed and, uh, I don't know, seems like one of the more educated. I, I could be wrong, but so asking him for guidance and hope. I, I love that he's like, uh, uh, what's he say? He's like, I thought you wanted to spread good news. None of this sounds like very much good news or something like that. There's some stuff in that sermon that is harsh. You know? I mean, I mean he's, he's got a message he wants to get out, but I mean, you, you want to make sure that you get the message out. I mean, you get the general ideas, the general concept, but I mean, obviously you're going to practice. And I think Matthew would be the guy to... It did seem like a really interesting point too when Jesus said uh, it's meant to be a manifesto. That kind of took me aback. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, okay. He's like, I'm here to start a revolution. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right. So uh, he's kind of like stepping into that somewhat uh, of that role that he's being accused of as far as being revolutionary and, and trying to completely overhaul and overthrow the current system and structure, although it's not in the way that like the Romans or the Pharisees think. Yeah, he says, I'm here to start a revolution, not a revolt. A revolution is still a scary word, at least nowadays. Yeah. But he means a different kind of revolution. A spiritual revolution. Like the Beatles, right? Yes. Talking about a revolution. I always wonder, okay, what am I supposed to get out of this sermon? Because Jesus uses some extremes. He says he's being poetic in this episode, but he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. But Matthew kind of brings up my question, like, well, nobody actually did that, right? So what am I supposed to take out of that sentence? There's some kind of hyperbole that he's using, because if you just take the sermon at face value, it's pretty frightening. Are those actual things that he discussed in the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. I see. I thought the New Testament was a little more like, let's not eye for an eye type of thing. Mm. Well, that's why I wonder why it's here. What is he trying to say? Was it a man shall not look at another woman of lust or what is it? And Matthew's like, then wouldn't there not be any men or something like that? <laughs> it says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you have yeah. already committed adultery. And he goes, well, doesn't that make everyone an adulterer? Yeah, that's right. So I think maybe the purpose of Matthew here is he's interpreting this scene for us. This sermon pretty much puts everybody in that camp that they've done one of these offenses. I wish we got to see the end of the sermon so we could figure out what exactly was Jesus' intent with this sermon overall. It's to salt the earth. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good point. So he says, so weird yeah, first he says, you know, I came to lead a revolution. Then he says, you are the salt of the earth. And Jesus says he wants his people to hold back evil from the world to renew and heal the world. I thought that's interesting, but it also made me depressed because I don't necessarily feel like that's what's happening within religion right now. <laughs> so how did you guys feel about that? I guess I didn't really put it into like current day context at that <laughs> that point, to be honest with you. Maybe that's a good thing. What's happened this week? You know? <laughs> a lot has happened. It snowed. Yeah. Yeah. This is our most energetic series we've done. <laughs> We're all cold. We're trying to keep warm. <laughs> what do you think about why does Jesus keep staring at the empty camp? If he's like yearning for the glory days and like he knows they're coming to an end, or I don't know, there's a couple different ways that like I can look at that. Number one, he looks sad. So my my statement of like he's proud of his people going out and doing his work, that that doesn't work. Unless he's got some serious RBF, that's not right. But maybe it's again us showing that he's thinking about like my time here is limited. I'm sad because these guys or these people are off doing his work and he's just yearning for more time with them. Maybe. I don't know. I would tend to agree with that, Nick, that, you know, I, I took it as he was more of a moment of reflection as far as like once this this event happens it's really going and there's no turning back. I wondered if it was foreshadowing like that scene where he walks by the cross a few episodes ago, because when he gets crucified, they're all going to scatter. So the camp is essentially going to be empty. And I, I can't really tell, but I find it ironic that this is the same episode that Judas was introduced. So I wonder if the empty camp is supposed to be like this bad omen of what's going to happen during the crucifixion. I don't remember. Remember that verse in Alanis Morissette's song, but I'll go back and listen. <laughs> That's awesome. it's, it's like Judas on your sermon day. Did she yeah. sing about Judas? I have no idea. Weezer <laughs> sings about Judas. It's like Judas on your sermon day. <laughs> okay, weird out. So we're almost to the big sermon. And the women bring Jesus a sash. They want him to choose one that is symbolic of what he's doing. So I thought that was interesting. I can't remember what red stood for. It was blood. The red sash was blood? It was something. I think it was like blood family, not like blood killing. Oh, bloodline. Okay. I think. So we had red. We had purple represented royalty. And blue represented peace or sky. So... I thought that was interesting because I don't know how common the color blue or even some of these others for that matter would have been in their world. So the only place you'd really see blue is the sea or the sky. But the sea was a symbol of chaos in their culture. So <laughs> I'm not sure if blue would really represent peace or not. I mean, if you look at the sky, yes. But if you look at the sea, that was a symbol of chaos. So that's interesting. There was also gold. Don't forget about gold. Oh, what what, what did that represent? Dude, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I don't remember. But I remember there were, it was gold, red, blue, 
and purple. But I remember thinking like the gold kind of clashed with his outfit already. So I didn't, I didn't think that was a good choice. I wouldn't know. I'm bad at that kind of thing. Yeah, I just liked how he went from camping robes to uh, public <laughs> speaking robes by just adding a colored sash. <laughs> sash. <laughs> You're wearing the same old sackcloth underneath. Right. <laughs> it is classic Jesus look, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. you see in all of those paintings. He ends up choosing blue, right? Yeah. Yeah. To represent peace. I would have thought he went purple, like royalty, king. Well, they, they actually made the statement, though, that they wanted to counter some of the harder things he was going to say. Oh. So that's why they picked blue for peace. They're about to hear something difficult, so they need to make him look more peaceful so they can accept what he's saying. So when you're telling me to gouge my eye out, I'm going to see your blue robe and feel a lot better. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Attracts. So Judas then finds the group. So we finally get Judas joining the rest of Jesus' followers. So now I think we're up to 12. I haven't been counting, but I can't think of anybody who's missing. And then, All right, you got to name them. Uh, I don't know if I can do it. Donner, Prancer. Oh, hang on a second. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy Doc. Uh. There's a couple Simons in there. I know that. <laughs> yeah, Simon Peter, Simon the Zealot. You got two Johns. You got two James. Thomas. There's only one female, right? They're not considered it's, one of the she's 12. She's not considered a disciple. Yeah. But, okay, but so, but Mary Magdalene, or Mary the, this Mary, we, there's, there's discussion that she's there, but that other chick. Uh, Rama? I mean, is she just completely made up? I'm pretty sure Rama's just made up. Yeah. <laughs> but there were women among Jesus's followers, so maybe they just had to invent one so that they could represent those unnamed women. Let's look, look up a list to see if they're all there. Is roadies? Roadies? It's the hired help. All the roadies on this side, all the groupies on this side. <laughs> okay, I got a list here. We have Peter, who is still called Simon at this point. James, John, I, I assume that's James and John, the Zebedee brothers. Andrew, Bartholomew, who is also called Nathaniel. So we've got him because he was the guy who made that temple that fell down in one of the first few episodes. James the Lesser. I think we've got him because they call the other James Big James. Judas. Jude, who is also called Thaddeus. I'm pretty sure he's there. I can't remember what he looks like, though. <laughs> Matthew, Philip, Simon the Zealot, and Thomas. Okay, so we do have all 12. Ooh, crazy. I just can't distinguish two or three of those guys from the others. Yeah. I need to go look at the IMDb pictures. <laughs> all right, so then Jesus gets ready to take the stage. They've got quite an impressive Woodstock-like stage here set up. So he steps up there, gets ready to speak. We see some Roman soldiers standing there. I believe Gaius is here getting ready to watch. They're not sure if Jesus is a threat or not. And then the episode ends. There's still 15 <sighs> minutes left on the video ticker from their website. And I thought for sure there was going to be some of that sermon. But it's all outtakes and credits. Yeah, yeah, after the scene. Uh, Were you guys do? I told you when it ended, I, I texted you and I told you I was pissed. <laughs> like, I wanted to see some of that sermon. I wanted to see how that went down. I feel like this entire season just led up to a big old climax that I didn't get. Yep. It's BS. Oh, well, the outtakes were kind of funny. <laughs> 
some of them were. I mean, maybe next season we'll start with that. I mean, I want to see more. So it is somewhat of a hook, but I thought he was going to like say something. And then the hook was going to be, how do those Roman soldiers take this? And how does the crowd take this? Because he's not going to say things that are easy to hear necessarily. I I was going to say that Rama is as real as your middle school girlfriend from Canada. So (laughs) was that a real thing? (laughs) Not at all. I can't remember the pop culture reference, but I do remember there there is a reference. So what do you guys think of this episode? It was a big buildup for just like no delivery there at the end and just to leave you going, what? (laughs) Anticlimactic. Yeah. Let's let's literally break, put this into perspective. Instead of being a bunch of children in a field, this one is now a bunch of adults in a field. <laughs> it's okay, so now it's a face-off between the children episode and this episode for your least favorite episode. Yeah. This season, I mean, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed this season. Every every episode, I think, got a little bit better than the, the previous. But literally, I mean, they, they like, I thought they were going to end the season on, like, a, something pretty big. And don't get me wrong, uh, figuratively speaking, that is a very big part of the whole story. But this is a TV show, and I am wanting to be entertained. So give me something. Yes, Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a little bit unusual of a cliffhanger for a normal TV show style of writing, I thought, too. I did enjoy it. I did feel like this episode was a little bit slower. Because of the pace, I was like, okay, they're building up to something big. And like you said, it's not that I didn't enjoy the content. I just thought there was going to be something big to make me wonder. Now I'm wondering, what did he say? Well, I could go read that. Instead, maybe it would have been better for them to use some of the Sermon on the Mount and show that and then show that there's some kind of negative fallout or some kind of controversy over what he said. And then we have to wait to see the consequences next season. Just my two cents. Yeah, instead of the montage of handing out the flyers, give me some of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. I could see if they're sticking with the theme of this whole season is about Jesus building up his ministry, then when he gives a sermon, it's like like a gunshot at the start of a race. So I guess I could see the logic of them saving it for the next episode. Oh, will you be really ticked if episode one of season three doesn't have any of the sermon and just skips to the aftermath? I'm going to switch to Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't do that. Dollars to it. L. Ron Hubbard. I could definitely see them just like skipping right over it and then it being like, you know, a goat herder in a field for like a half hour of the first episode. So. <laughs> Just to clean up after the sermon. <laughs> yeah, some guy with a goat in a bag picking up trash. Right. <laughs> I mean, they do make a point of the guy saying, there better not be one piece of whatever left in my field. Foreshadowing. Yeah. He's like, wow, that was good, boy. I'm glad I didn't miss it. At these events, like the healing in the field where people are there for days, where are people going to the bathroom, man? They're not digging holes. The field. Yeah. <laughs> I better not find one hole. Why do you think the fields are so green? What do they use it for TP? Their tunic? Historical context is fun, see? Yeah. Squat in a stream and have a natural bidet. They probably had rags. Honestly, they probably had rags in their bag. Uh, rag bags. Bag rags. Biodegradable. I still like my stream bidet. What are your thoughts on the season as a whole? It's much better than season one. <laughs> 
I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. It was a, a good storyline and progression, I thought. So definitely raised the bar, in my opinion, over season one. Looks like they had more money. It looks like they got a little more advanced. Maybe seen some special effects there in the one scene with the guy, the heat, the guy's arm with the total recall arm. What was it, Alien? We had a little, it just looked like better quality. It seems like he keeps getting a little bit better each, each time. I'm assuming he's like, hey, people like this stuff and they're actually giving me money. All those times I'm begging for money is working out. Acting lessons. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, you guys better perform, dude. We need $8 million more million to make this series happen. <laughs> you know, if we think about this, though, what's what's interesting, and I, don't get me wrong, this, I, I'm with you guys. This season's gotten better, and I like it better than the last. This show is called The Chosen. Is it about the chosen, the disciples? Is it about God's chosen people? Because I'm starting to wonder, like, I, I was thinking, okay, when Jesus gets crucified, do are we going to get some details or some episodes about, you know, the rats scurrying from the ship? But now I'm starting to wonder if The Chosen is actually... God's chosen people and not the apostles. Oh, that's a good thought, man. Yeah, mm. I'm letting myself down because I, I, again, another build up. I wonder if it's both, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily about the Jews. I think it's either it's either about the disciples or it's about everyone. Well, Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Well, talking through that too, if you want to get into a deep dive on that, the intro credits of every episode a bunch of fish swimming in one direction and it's the ones that turn around and swim against the grain yeah I, i'm not sure how to take that so far the show's just been about disciples but is the overall theme about you know the chosen just being the followers of christ not necessarily just the disciples dude you're a genius i have never paid that much attention to what the animation meant during the theme song <laughs> We've watched it like how many times? I don't know. I usually just start eating my popcorn during that part. <laughs> this is how I think Jenkins is going to have the get out of jail free card for not having to go full passion of the Christ. Because the show is either about the disciples or his people, which means we really don't care about the details of the, the crucifixion, right? By that, I mean the act of him being tortured and put on the cross. They wouldn't have to show that. They could just put a caption and say, go watch Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll end that season five that way and it'll pick up after he's already in the tomb. Yeah, and we'll just miss it like we did the sermon that we're about to miss. Interesting. I think it'll just go right by it. I mean, it seems, I don't think this show's advanced enough to have like the whole acting thing going with someone's getting crucified. That's, I mean, that's kind of just the logistics of that for a, a film. I think it's kind of, I just don't think they can do that unless they do a special effects again. We will buy two by fours and we will film this in your backyard. We can do this. <laughs> We're strapping someone up though. Purdy? Well, there's no we in this. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Purdy plays Jesus. Yeah, season seven's going to be Nathan. totally. R-rated or something. <laughs> the same passion of Christ. Nathan and Jason, you guys are the you're the Romans, and I'll be the filmmaker. Yeah, you know it'll be hard to watch all these people die after watching them for so many seasons and getting attached to them. I'm not necessarily sure that I'm not dreading seeing the crucifixion or something like that. Yeah, it's easier when it's a movie, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they want to make us feel that or not. It's the story. I mean, you, it comes with the territory. That's a good point. You can't clean it up, right? It is what it is. Yeah. Jesus actually just tripped on a rock and died and then rose from the dead three days later. You can't do that. Stroked out. Yeah, he had a stroke. <laughs> he stroke. Heat exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. Do you guys recommend this series? Season two? Yeah. Sure. Just don't watch the final episode. <laughs> 
Everything but the last episode. Yeah, just cut that one off. I like the outtakes. I, I don't know. Yeah. I enjoyed the outtakes. They, they were funny. They made me laugh. <laughs> they were good. All right, well, here's my last question to munch on. Did this show in any way change your view of what Christianity is supposed to be? Or your view of Jesus or God or religion or anything? Did this show in this season, you can even go back to season one. What we've watched so far, has this show had any impact on your view of the source material? I mean, for me, obviously. I mean, we started this thing with me with I have no idea how you describe what the hell I was. So I literally bought a 2000 page study Bible. So yeah, this, I think the series is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I don't think it's necessarily changed my mind about anything. It's made me think and it's made me interested. I, I think Dallas Jenkins is doing what he wants, what he's intending. How do you say that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we talked about this before. I mean, I, I think his whole intention was to make people go back and look at verses and learn stuff. I think he's designed it to where the newcomers coming in are kind of like, oh, hey, this is a cool story. But he's also made it a little bit more in depth to where the people who already know are like, uh, did it say that in that verse or not? I mean, I need to go look that up. So either way, you're going back and looking it up. It's brand new to you or you're, you missed something in the, in, in the scripture. And so I think that's his intention there is to kind of promote that kind of study there. Actually, and he puts a disclaimer at the beginning of saying that, I mean, more or less. Yeah, I agree with Jason on on that point. Uh, I think for me personally, yeah, it kind of helps visualize some of the stories uh, in my head, at least. My two biggest criticisms of the entire series are I, I wish that they would just list out some references that were inspiration for the episodes to help you study at the end, like as part of the credits. And I wish that they would provide character names <laughs> in the subtitles. <laughs> that would that would make life a lot easier. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I really like the show's portrayal of Jesus and the disciples as a dysfunctional family. I think for a lot of people, it's a new idea to see that Jesus would pick people who are dysfunctional. And I think it's there in the New Testament. We just don't think about it that much. So I enjoy seeing that on screen. One of the biggest takeaways I see is Jesus keeps telling people, hey, don't worry about what's going on with the government and politics. We've got a mission. This is the thing to focus on. I'm pretty sure that's not only commentary on today, but I think that's what's in the New Testament as well. That's just a little bit more difficult to see. And if you look into the context of what the disciples believed the Messiah was going to be at the time, they really were expecting somebody to overthrow Rome and then the Jews could be their own nation again. So I really think it's a good thing that they're doing this because we've seen certain groups of Christianity or certain churches that are just really focused on the president or whatever. And I really think Jesus even back then was consistently saying, don't worry about that. That stuff's just going to throw you off course and become this huge obstacle. So I'm glad that the show was willing to go there. I like when it gives us this stuff that we can research and do a deep dive on. Like when David went to the temple and stole the bread. And in this episode, like it was interesting looking up Simeon and Reuben's lineage. You know, I do have 
a little bit of an issue with some of the level of historical fiction, though, because if Judas's ancestors are not really Simeon, I mean, that's a fact that could easily get mixed into my head as reality. And in a hundred years, people could be saying, oh, Judas is an ancestor of Simeon. I wish it was either super obvious when it was historical fiction, or they just didn't take it quite that far in places, because I don't want to start mixing up fiction into my historical knowledge. But overall, I really like the show. I am looking forward to the next season. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens to the disciples after the crucifixion, but I know that's a ways off. Yeah, I don't know that the show necessarily changed my view of Christianity so much as it just highlighted some things. And I thought, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks Christianity isn't supposed to be political, because sometimes today I feel like I'm the only one who's looking around like there's a problem. And then I watch the show and I think, oh, thank goodness. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Well, we made it. You guys got any last comments or anything? Salt the earth. No. <laughs> <laughs> right? Nothing must grow here. I hope the next couple of seasons aren't like Lord of the Rings-esque, where we're literally just watching people walk through fields. <laughs> well, I do know that their goal is to get season three out in fall of 2022. So late, late 2022 sometime. There's no specific date announced, but at the end of the year, they're hoping to unveil season three. Aren't they done filming that one? Ah, I don't know. I thought the fundraising, I checked over the weekend. I thought the fundraising was on season four already. Hmm. I thought they were filming season three still recently. Something on their Facebook page made me think that, mm. but maybe. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I've enjoyed talking about this show and watching it with you guys. In fact, watching it with you guys has actually made me pay a lot closer attention to the details in the show. So that, that's been good for me. Trying to figure out what I'm going to relate to ancient aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped that season one. Because I, I just can't keep up, Nick. <laughs> That's why they stopped the episode before the sermon. They were censoring it. They don't want you yeah. to know. The men in black light bulb. That's where the aliens are going to come down. Yeah, you watched it. And then at the end, Jesus took out that men in black neuralizer. And neuralized. So we actually did see it. We just don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at the light. So yeah, Nathan, they're, uh, they're currently fundraising for season four, episode two. Cool. So I don't know if they do like the fundraising first, get everything that they need for the budget and then film. I don't know how that works. I would guess. Otherwise, they'd have to stop filming in the middle if they ran out of money. Yeah, yeah. that would be the smarter way to do it. Yeah. Just film, rack up the debt. We'll pay it off later. So it looks like in eight to ten months, there might be a season three out. <laughs> Cross your fingers. Well, cool. Thank you guys for talking about this show with me. Your insight is awesome. I love to hear your thoughts on it. And listeners, if you have any thoughts or comments, email us or Facebook us at Brewery Ministries on Instagram at Brewery Ministries. You can email us at breweryministries at gmail.com. And we will catch up with you soon. We plan to have some things still coming out on the podcast feed, even while the show isn't uh, going. So I don't know if the whole crew will be on that. It depends on what these guys want to do in their schedules. But there will be something coming out, and then we'll be around. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, uh, I'm done with you people. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to Brewery Ministries Discussion Podcast on The Chosen. If you enjoyed this podcast, help spread the word by leaving a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store, Stitcher, or your podcast store of choice. That's why they call me Wine Hands, because of what I do to your liver. Contact us on the Brewery Ministries Facebook page, on Instagram at Brewery Ministries, or at breweryministries.org. Send us your questions and comments so we can talk about them on the podcast. It's not enough to say hello. Visit one of our spiritual discussion groups at a brewery or online. Visit breweryministries.org for a list of our discussion groups. You can also download our free discussion guides on spiritual themes in the Book of Mark, the Dark Knight Trilogy, or the Avengers movies at breweryministries.org. Those who do the actual fishing are unholy, foul-mouthed, given to gambling and secret dens, and even fishing on Shabbat. The opinions shared in this podcast are the views of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Brewery Ministries Incorporated. Why must I perform? First I perform for quinters. You taught God's law. Soldiers, then for for the slum dwellers. And this, what, what sort of performance is this? All music and sound clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They're included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You